Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. I think the most important thing to begin with is that any problem you have in your life, you just begin with the assumption that it's solvable. You begin with the assumption that it's solvable. That is one of the key attitudes that changes everything. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This episode starts a three-part series pulled from the live version of the course called Clear the Issue. We talk today about an aspect of problem-solving seldom talked about, how you relate to problems on a spiritual level. What stops many people from solving their problems is not a lack of skill or knowledge, but rather an unwillingness to give themselves over to the process. What does that mean and how on earth do you use it to solve problems? Keep listening to find out. As said, this episode came from the live course, Clear the Issue. Members get access to the live courses I teach three times a year and all of the past recordings, of course. For more information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get more engaged in everything you do, go to clearandopen.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce the launch of my new course, Accountability, Metrics, Money, and Shame. Get better results by living in reality. That's the name of the course. Employee disengagement is a worldwide epidemic, estimated to cost nearly a half trillion dollars a year worldwide. Lack of accountability and metrics are two of the biggest reasons why. You cannot have engagement without them. In this course, we address money in a way you've likely never thought of before. Money is the metric we all live with and the reality we deal with every day. So explorations into your relationship with money will reveal powerful insights about your relationship to the boundaries of reality itself, accountability, and shame, all related to engagement. For managers, if you can't feel the difference between remorse and shame, you can't manage to engage. It's that simple. When an employee does something bad, research shows that remorse creates change, whereas shame guarantees it happens again. What if you're unwittingly shaming your people, or on the other side, not ensuring they feel remorse when they mess up? How do you create metrics that show your people how they're doing and inspire them to excellence? How do you know you're tracking the right metrics so you know you're on track? This course answers all of these questions and more. It's more than just education and training. It's a transformational journey that improves every area of your life. When you complete this course, you'll have a vivid, actionable, and moving vision along with a dashboard to hold yourself and others, if applicable, accountable to achieving it. And you'll know how to own a task, project, or job like a champion. It all kicks off on April 5th and continues for a total of 11 weeks. Sign up at clearandopen.com slash AMMS. That stands for Accountability, Metrics, Money, and Shame. clearandopen.com slash AMMS. All right, thanks so much for listening. Let's dive into our episode today. I have a little show and tell, maybe for later on, but first I wanted to start with digestions, questions, and reflections, possibly other things that end in T-I-O-N-S. 
about the course, the problems you've been working on, where you're at with them, what you've learned, what you've not learned, what you're still struggling with, what you want help with. I'll just offer the simple um, observation that when you do the homework, you get more out of the course than if you don't. Thank you. Um, So I'm going to maybe cut and paste that and put it at the beginning of the course when I produce it. Quoth Peter, (laughs) do the effing homework. Yeah, it works. You want to share more about what doing the homework has done for you? Uh, briefly, I'm not sure if, if it's safe to say I've internalized it yet, but I'm, if I haven't, I'm getting close to internalizing the idea of doing work every day that moves me toward where I want to be in life. Mm. And um, it's something that uh, I'm more aware of throughout the day and, and in a way my gratitude for uh, all the good fortune I have in life. Mm. So those are some things I've noticed. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about internalizing, especially as it relates to the clear process. So really the whole point of the course in one way is to practice enough times with defining the issue, listing the impact, exploring root causes, assessing personal accountability, and defining the next steps to do this often enough so that it's not an exercise anymore. It's just the way you think about solving problems. And if you think about it, this is how you learn any skill because we're talking about a skill here. There are awareness components to it and certainly some knowledge ones as well, but we're talking about a skill and skill is something that requires practice. Have you guys started to notice when you look through the lens of clear how bad most people are at problem solving? If you're not seeing how 90% of the world is completely clueless about problem solving, you've got more work to do with clear because it should illuminate that to you. Reading any news story, seeing anybody with their computer. (laughs) Well, now that you mentioned, I'm sure I'm doing that. I'm sure I'm noticing that. (laughs) Uh (laughs) You don't see it. You may be part of it. That's that's the, the moral there. So in the beginning, do it on paper, right? But in, until it's just a natural way you do things, it's not a natural way you do things. So you uh, just like playing scales until, uh, you know, until you can improvise in a scale using every note and landing in the right places at the right time, you practice the scale. You know, that's just how it works. So keep practicing until it's the natural way you do things. And any problem, I think the most important thing to begin with is that any problem you have in your life, you just begin with the assumption that it's solvable. You begin with the assumption that it's solvable. That is one of the key attitudes that changes everything because it will send you on a journey. Solving When you decide a problem is solvable, you may solve it the next day, and, or you may not solve it for 30 years. But to me, this is the spiritual part of problem solving, is when you commit to solving a problem, I'm not talking about like, you know, your computer won't start. That's probably not going to take you on a spiritual journey. It might, 
but when you take a long-standing, deep issue and you decide, you know what? I don't think it should have to be this way. It takes you on a journey and can change your whole life. You know, every prophet we've ever had in, in history, including the ones we don't think of as prophets, but if you define a prophet as someone who sees that things could be different and should be different than they are. You know, when we think of prophets, we think of the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah, Noah, Moses was a prophet. Jesus was a prophet. Muhammad was, he always has the prophet written right after his name. We know that, right? But Martin Luther King was a prophet. You know, these are people who decided the way things are now shouldn't be this way. I'm going to solve that problem. Bill Gates has decided to do that. Bill and Melinda Gates decided to do that with malaria. They're acting as prophets. And they're going to go and solve that problem. They're on a journey. I guarantee you, Bill and Melinda Gates have learned a whole lot about themselves and third world countries and bureaucracy and all sorts of stuff that they probably had no idea they were getting into. They were just like, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to put a whole lot of money into it. And then they probably found a whole lot of obstacles that they did not expect, right? Can you, can you imagine? Right? And I just dealing with the Hawaiian state government is a nightmare that most people would not want to subject themselves to. Try, try doing that in, a, in an even less developed country. Where you're muted, Peter. Okay. I, I got you. Yeah. I want to add something uh, to clarify. I think what, what I've gotten out of this course is the most important thing I think I've got out of this course is less the problem-solving aspect than it is. Uh, there's a confluence of some of the things that you spoke about a lot during the course, which is look at where there's a gap between what we believe we are or want to be and what we're actually uh, exhibiting. And um, there was also that was reinforced by your recent series um, on You Do It Too. Mm. But so what that has gotten me, how that played out in me is I'm looking more about not only where am I getting in my own way, but where am I getting in the way of my employees Mm. and how that's affecting them. For now, anyway, I think that's the most fruitful result of of this experience of the last, uh, you know, 10, 11 weeks is that I'm. I'm willing to look at that and be very critical about and and willing to go into the discomfort of trusting some of the people in my organization that I haven't trusted before and being honest with them about that. Nice. So you're saying an underlying condition you discovered was your lack of trust with some of your employees. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and, And not keeping my word of getting out of their way and staying out of their way and not, you know, I'm, uh, I've been constantly going back and doing their job for them and that doesn't help them or me or the company. Yeah. And so I've had some really good conversations about that with my, my production manager and I've, I've actually written down the things that I, that I don't want to do anymore and the things I want to do differently. So nice. I have now my own set of instructions on how to behave. Nice. Those sound like, clear, small steps that you've created to solve that problem. Very good. Uh, that is true. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's step back and appreciate this for a second. So the, what was the problem you started with that that was related to? Can you state what the step one was? Well, I believe step one was, oh gosh, there was a, a couple of things, both related to my production manager, but one of them was that I haven't turned over 
information from me as a salesman to my production manager in a timely fashion and in a very accurate fashion. Mm-hmm. And I, that was getting in his way. Now, other things related to that, mm-hmm. but that's how it started. That's how it started and then delivered you to the realization that actually there was a trust gap and a conversations and a set of conversations that needed to happen that hadn't happened with you and, and some bunch of your employees. Yes. And that's, can you, and you're probably experiencing that that's changing your day-to-day life, changing your relationships with people, changing your relationship with yourself, holding yourself accountable. Yes, it is. That's the kind of journey I'm talking about here. It's like, you know, one, one edge of the blade is this is the problem I'm going to solve and I'm going to solve it. And the other side of that blade is I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And that's the problem that people face. That's the challenge that people face is they want the problem to be solved without having to be uncomfortable or have, be surprised by anything. Have, in other words, they, they want the problem to, to be solved without anything having to change. They want it to happen in a way that's comfortable and predictable instead of going on a journey. I'm reminded of Helen Keller's quote, life is an adventure or it is nothing. And when you take on a problem, and it may even seem like a small one, every time you want to solve that problem, there has to be a willingness, a kind of surrender to, I don't know where this will take me. This could go anywhere. But I'm going to solve it. And it's going to get me to the bottom of something. You know, there are many stories of people who get terminal illnesses like, cancer or MS or HIV or anything. And when, when someone gets something like that or is in some horrible accident where they're told they'll never walk again, let's take, for example, uh, any of you know the Feldenkrais method created by a guy named Moshe Feldenkrais? Moshe Feldenkrais was a um, engineer and uh, accomplished martial artist in Israel. I think he died in the late seventies. You know, this was from born in around the turn of the century, of turn of the last century. Can't say turn of the century, meaning the 1900, and well, that was new. Turn of the last century, wow. I was born in the last century, <laughs> forgetting that. So uh, he was a martial artist and an engineer, and he had really bad knee problems, a lot of it from his um, uh, martial arts days. He was really into judo, uh, tough on the knees. And he'd seen a lot of doctors and, uh, and the prognosis he got was like, there's nothing we can do. You're just, you know, your knees are really bad. It was so bad that he, um, was barely able to walk. And when he did walk, it was with a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. Refusing to accept the diagnosis and the prognosis from the doctors. He went about applying his understanding of human body mechanics that he learned as a martial artist and uh, the mechanics of mechanics that he knew as an engineer. And he created a system of body work called the Feldenkrais method that is basically about, it's hard to describe, but it's like reorganizing the nervous system such that the musculature reorganizes how it operates downstream of that. But it really, it's a neuromuscular kind of conversation where you disentangle things. You ever noticed like, um, Sometimes when people are concentrating with their fingers, they stick their tongue out or clench their jaw or something. There's a connection between the hands and the jaw. There's a connection between the jaw and the pelvis. Um, There's all sorts of connections like this 
that there where there's um, relatednesses and what they call a kind of translation of movement. And the, uh, Feldenkrais explores these kinds of things and disentangles them. Like you ever notice when you turn your head to the left, your eyes tend to move to the left at the same time, right? That's habituated and that causes unnecessary tension in the neck. So anyway, he figured this out and through movements like, okay, well, what if I just slowly turn my head to the left and move my eyes to the right? What happens then? And if you do that really carefully and start to feel through and look around, you can disentangle these things and it opens up space and changes the pathways. And well, long story short, he learned to walk again without pain and created this whole bodywork system. That created something in the world that still exists today. Feldegrice is routinely used. It helps people recover from strokes that when doctors say, well, this person will never walk again or they'll never be able to use the right or left side of their body again. Feldenkrais can help in ways that Western medicine can't yet do. Um, and it's a system that's only a few decades old. That's an example of something that came to be because someone was not okay with their bad knees, right? Took them on a whole journey. He was tore, he toured the world, had apprentices. You know, if you look at anyone who starts something new like that, often that's where it comes from. They're just, they were fed up with the problem. So we, we imagine, we look at these things, you know, these new systems, new methods, new technologies. We look at these things in the world and we, we, I think we have an idea that someone like set out to create that that they had some vision of like, well, it's my destiny to, you know, create a business where you can get a package anywhere around the world. Like it came from some kind of obvious entrepreneurial clear idea. But what you find is most of the time it's sort of accidental, you know, like the story of post-its, you know, the story of the, how post-its came to be the glue for post-its was a total failure. Somebody was trying to create a super glue. You know, the, the glue on post-its is amazing. It's, you know, it sticks pretty well, but you can remove it and you reuse it and reuse it. Well, that was an accidental discovery. Someone was trying to create a glue that would behave like super glue. But instead of looking at that as a failure, as the story goes, they were like, well, I got this fun, funny glue that's not very sticky at all, but you can reuse it a bunch of times. What can I do with it? Took that person on the journey of post-its. And instead of being a super glue guy, he was a post-it guy. Completely different outcome. Right now, we imagine like, oh well, the guy was still wildly successful, but we don't know that. You know, he probably, he maybe he went through six months of total depression, feeling like a total failure through all that. You know, we don't know. He had this image of I'm going to be the guy who creates the greatest crazy glue in the world. Instead, he, uh, you know, became an an office supply manufacturer. You know, just imagine what that was like. In other words. All I'm saying is, in one way, your life is not your own. In one way, your life is not your own. And the ego inside of us has this idea of like, I'm going to solve this problem. And it's, I'm going to solve it in a very specific way. And it's going to go this way. And I'm going to get to stay the same person when I solve this problem. And if you have this idea that you're going to stay the same person while solving the problem, that may be the thing that stops you from solving the problem. Maybe the problem exists to stimulate you to change on a really deep level that you didn't even think was possible. Jamie is smiling. 
gaming was all about that. In fact, I didn't really get this in this moment. If you have a really deep, long-standing problem, it persists because you haven't surrendered to the change that it's inviting you into. Consider that. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.